the last page of your Bibles, well, at least pretty close to it, Revelation 22. Uh, So I know that many of you would think that this would be the last sermon since it's verses 6 through 21. Um, After all, what else could you do? Well, we're still going to preach one more sermon in Revelation next week. Uh, So the reason we're doing that is there are seven times the word blessed appears in Revelation. And so we want to kind of take a recap, take a step back, look at Revelation from beginning to end, because it begins with blessing, it ends in blessing, and, and there's blessings all throughout it. And we just want to look at those blessings on, on what God is doing through this book, on how his spirit works through this word for the church. And so I believe Ben will actually be bringing forth that message. Uh, so it's going to be an exciting time. Uh, so after that, we will then move to another book of the Bible. Uh, and just so you know, we're actually going to be moving to Jonah. And the reason for that is we're going to begin looking at missions, which actually next week at our uh, congregational meeting, we'll talk to you much more about global missions. And so uh, Jonah will be a neat book for that. So uh, if you want to go ahead and begin looking at Jonah in preparation for that, that would be a wonderful idea. I hope you have enjoyed Revelation. Uh, we've done it in roughly 22, 23 sermons, I think. Uh, so close to a, a chapter, a sermon. I've loved this book. I've never preached through this book. I've studied it some, but I've never gone through it all together. Uh, we had a Q&A the other day on Wednesday night and, uh, where we, we wrestled with some things. And while we might not all agree on, on all the parts of it, it, is, it has been a huge blessing in my life. It has been encouragement in my faith. It has helped me see the need to persevere and guard against temptation. It has shown the futility of idolatry, the passing, the futility of idolatry and, and the passing of pleasures that this world offers. It has filled me with anticipation of the new creation. That was especially the last couple of weeks as we've looked at the new heavens and new earth. It has shown how God is sovereign over all evil and suffering. But I think what it's probably done the most is really what we're going to see, see today. It's made me want our, our King Jesus to return. And so that, that's what I hope is our desire as we look at this text because, because we're going to argue and, and I think show from the text, that's exactly how John wants us to see this book, is that as we come to the end of Revelation, we are crying out, come, King Jesus, come. And so with that, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read the last portion from verse 6 on in Revelation 22. We stand at the reading of God's word because it is his word, and we do so as a way of honoring our king, and uh, here we go, verse 6, and he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me 
to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let me pray. Our Father, God, I thank you for this book. I thank you for for this book that in such vivid details shows your sovereignty, shows your love for the church, your grace given to the church, shows how you have overcome and defeated sin, Satan, and death at the cross, how your Son has risen from the grave and is now the conquering King who will once again come to this earth bringing with them the new heavens and new earth, bringing judgment on those who have rejected Him, and gathering His bride, His church, those who have trusted in Him for all of eternity to spend with Him. God, may we, as we come to this passage, cry out, Come, King Jesus, come. May we be encouraged. May we be excited. May we be filled with anticipation of the day in which You come. Lord, we thank you for your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, This is a neat chapter. I wish we could just go into all the parts of it, but um, something that clearly stands out. Jesus is coming seven times. In verses 6 through 21, the word come appears. Verse 7, verse 12, three times in verse 17, and twice in verse 20. Revelation is about... The coming of our King Jesus. It's about intensifying the heart of the church. It's about fueling uh, the flame within us to desire Him to come. Just as when two lovers are, are separated, they cannot wait to come back together. So Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. And we are in anticipation of that day where we'll be physically together for all of eternity. And so what I want to do today is just say, what does it look like to want Jesus to come? Because I think that's where the text is going. It's saying, Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon, which means we're to be ready for him. So what does that look like? How are we ready? If we know he's coming, what does that mean for the way we live? And so a few points here. Number one, we trust and obey the words of our king. That's where we start. We trust and obey his words. Verse 6 says, these words are trustworthy and true. So what words? What is he talking about? Well, um, this is a quote from chapter 21. 
at the beginning of this last uh, garden, uh, temple garden vision that begins in chapter 21, John writes, these words are trustworthy and true, and now we, we come across them again. So surely, he's saying, this last vision I have given you is trustworthy and true. Jesus is coming. This is what the new creation is going to look like. But it's more than just these two chapters that are trustworthy, for then we read in verse 6 also, he has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Well, where did we read that 23 sermons-ish ago? Chapter 1, Jesus says, I've sent my angel to tell you what must soon take place. So at the bookends of Revelation, we have Jesus saying, I've sent my angel to tell you what's going to take place. At the end, I've sent my angel to tell you what is taking place. John, in both places, says, I testify to what I have seen and what I have heard. And so, I think John is not just saying this last vision is true and trustworthy, but everything you have read in this book is true and trustworthy. Now, I was at a kind of a mini-conference yesterday, uh, last two days in Portland, um, and one of the speakers came up, and, and he gave a, a neat illustration, which, which I'm just going to totally borrow and take as my own now, uh, but it was really good, and he said when he finished reading Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy of it, and I forget where he was, but he was somewhere public, and as he comes to the last page, and he closes the book, he says he just began to cry some. Because he had he'd been drawn into this story, drawn into this book. He began to love the characters and the development of them and the flow of the story. As, as there was sorrow in the story, he grew sorrowful. When there was joy in the story, there was joy in his heart. And so now it comes to an end and the story's over. And so he's, he's actually been moved so much that tears come to his eyes and he's going, I, I don't want it to be over. I love this story. Now, some of you might not have read uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, so we'll update this just a little bit. Uh, Perhaps you were watching Infinity Wars uh, not too long ago, the Marvel superhero, where, where then Thanos at the end snaps his fingers and half of all the creation, all the beings in, cre- in the universe disappear, turn to dust. And you're just sitting there at the end of it going, ah! That can't happen. And you just feel like your own soul is just kind of, ah, that's not the way this is supposed to end. Um, but you know what? Those, those stories are not real. Those stories are not real. Those characters are not real. Um, but this story that we're reading is real. And as we come to the end, the story is not over. The story begins in Genesis, right? Where, where we see that God creates. And we know it even began then, before that because God is eternal. He has always existed. And once sin comes into the world, we read that one day He will send this person, this man who will be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And we come all through the book until we come And to the Gospels where we see this man is Jesus, the Son of God who has come to die. And and we see that as he rose again, he promises that he will come back again for his church. So this story that we have read in Revelation and then throughout the whole Bible is not over. For the characters are not fictitious, but they are real. 
And that is what we have. When Jesus says, or John writes, this is true and trustworthy. Revelation in this whole story is real. And so what we've seen in Revelation is that God, like in chapter 4, is sitting on his heavenly throne right now being worshipped by myriads and myriads of angels. He is the creator of all creation. He is worthy of all praise. He has sent his son Jesus as a lamb to be slaughtered. We see that in chapter 5. Jesus comes and dies on a cross for our sins uh, to redeem humanity and what we've seen also all of creation there is the hope that there will be a new heavens and a new earth when christ returns in chapter one we see a picture of this glorified risen jesus he's revealed as the great king who has risen from the dead conquered the grave and now it's that amazing picture in chapter one he holds the keys of death in hades do you remember that picture that's the picture that we have All the way throughout Revelation. Jesus is king, he's risen, and he's conquered. And he shows that by holding the keys of death and Hades. At his death and resurrection, he conquered sin, death, and Satan. And in fact, in this section that we're in, in verses 6 through 22, we have six descriptions that show us who this Jesus is. Verse 13, we read, He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last in the beginning and, these end, and the end. Now in Revelation and in the rest of the Bible, who else shares these titles? The Father. God the Father does. And so what we see is these titles not only are about Jesus, the Son of God, they're about the Father, which, which shows us that Jesus and the Father are co-eternal, co-equal. And so we get into a lot of things there in the Trinity. I'm three persons in one essence. Um, But what we have here is we have a Father who's eternal, and His Son is eternal also, which means He's not like Superman, who has come to this earth, who only looks human, but He's really not. But Jesus Christ came as God and as man that He would be able to die on the cross for us. Neither is He like Thor, who is the son of a God, but a little bit lesser than the God who is before him, his father. But Jesus is equal in every way to the Father, and he is also human as he comes, that he would die in our place. If you look down in verse 16, we read he is the root of David and the descendant of David. Now just, do you get that? The root of David, before David, the descendant of David, after David. So he's before and he's after David because he is the eternal God. And then we also read that he is the bright morning star. And all of these references are really showing that Jesus is the conquering king. He has come to overcome enemies, not Rome necessarily, but sin, death, and Satan. The giants that are too big for us to overtake. Christ has come that He would slay these giants and that by faith in Him, we too would have life. And so as we come to Revelation, we see He's eternal. Jesus is eternal. He's a sovereign, all-powerful King. Revelation is all about helping us see and marvel at Jesus. Revelation shows us that Jesus is a man. 
He's a lion. He's a lamb. He's a slain and risen conqueror. He's a peacemaker, a king, creator, consummator, and Lord of all. And it's this Jesus that as we come to the end of the book, we cry out, come. This is who we want. We want this one, the lamb who was slain, who is the lion, to come. So we would have eternity with him. Now it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross, conquering sin, death, and Satan, that we then read in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes. So what does that mean that, that these people are blessed because they've washed their robes? What does it mean, washed their robes? Well, in chapter 7 of Revelation, there's this picture of all these people coming out of the tribulation. And if you remember, they're from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, of every language, and they're coming to gather around the throne. And we read that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So commentators are a little split here. Is it just simply a reference to the fact that they have trusted in Jesus and by the blood of Jesus they have been made clean? Yes. Is it the fact that they have now persevered in their faith and now through sanctification have been made holy that they would come into the eternal home of God, the new heavens and new earth? Yes. I don't think we need to distinguish which one. I think it's both. It's these people who have come out of the tribulation, the very world that we live in, as we have come and placed our faith in Jesus, have lived for Jesus, we've been washed and made clean, that we would be blessed. And the reason that we're blessed is because we live forever with Christ. We are entering into this garden temple, which we've seen in chapter 21 and chapters 22. These are the ones who have persevered. These are the ones who have overcome. That's the message. In chapters 2 and 3, there's seven churches uh, that are addressed in Revelation. Each church, God comes and says, overcome, 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 which means persevere in your faith. This, this is these people, these who have persevered, who have overcome. These are the ones who did not take the mark of the beast. And notice in verse 14, they have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gate. So we're not sneaking in. We're not trying to climb over a wall. We're not digging under a, under a wall. We're not, oh, we didn't make it, but we'll still, we'll still find a way to get in. No, we come through the gates. The big, giant, pearly gates that God has created that we would come into His presence for all of eternity. So I hope you hear this. What we've seen in Revelation, what is true and trustworthy is that only by faith do we have eternal life. Do not believe the lie that all roads lead to heaven. It's not true. There's one road that leads to heaven, and its name is King Jesus. That's the road that gets there. If you go another road, you do not come to the new heavens and new earth. For in verse 15, we read this. Outside the city gates. So inside the city, so you got, you got to take the imagery here. Inside the city is holy and clean. Outside the city, which this would really be the lake of fire. There's not going to be an inside the city and outside the city in the new creation. Because new creation, everything is holy, right? So this is symbolism helping us understand outside the city, meaning not in the new creation, 
Outside the city, verse 15, are the dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and get this, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So you kind of expect to hear like an intensification of words here, right? Like something worse after we get to murder. We got sexual immoral, murderer, idolaters, liars? Like just liars? Like is that really always that bad? Like white lies? Well, what we have here is, is now we have those who lie will be outside the city. Now, I think it's good to, to remember what's happening in Revelation. We have a dragon, that's Satan, and he has these, these, these beasts that come from him. One is the Antichrist, one is the false prophet. What's their plan? To deceive. Right? That's what they do. They deceive, they lie, they manipulate, they do everything they can to pull people away from the true worship of God, that they would worship anything other than Christ. And so I think what we have here is, is the liars, those who deceive, those who hide the truth, those who manipulate, will not be in the very kingdom of God. But King Jesus is truth. That's what we have in Revelation. And to not believe in Jesus is to hate truth and to love falsehood. And what we see and what Ben preached and then I preached as we went through Revelation 21 and 22, the entire new creation is holy. Everything in the new creation is devoted to the glory of God. In the new creation, there will be nothing that rejects Jesus. Every citizen will love Jesus, worship Jesus, and want to be with Jesus. And this is why we proclaim the good news about the king. To profess faith in Jesus is to proclaim Jesus. And that's what we read, verse 10. Do not seal up the words of this book, for the time is near. Now, in the beginning of 2018, we began in Daniel, and we thought we could maybe finish Revelation 2019, but that didn't happen, or 18, but that didn't happen. But in Daniel chapter 12, do you remember what Daniel's told? It's the exact opposite of what we read here. Daniel, seal up these words. Do not let them go out. Why? Because the time's not near. But now, here's this message about a new heavens, a new earth, that Christ is king, that Christ has conquered, that Christ has risen from the grave, and that all who believe in him will be a part of this new heavens and new earth, and he's coming again, and the time is near. So what's the words? Go tell. Don't seal this up. This news must go out because the time is near. Now we have to realize that this was written 2,000 years ago, so near for us is probably near, is different than what near is for God. But the next historical redemptive event, according to the word, is Christ will return. So that's the next thing. So that's what's near. That's the very next thing. Christ will return. And it's because he is coming, we do not seal up these words, but we take this message and we proclaim it. There is a king and he's returning and we need to be ready for him because he's going to gather his bride into eternal life, which means now is the time to proclaim the gospel. Now is the time to repent and receive forgiveness. Now is the time to profess faith in King Jesus. It is not time to delay, but it is time to believe and live for Christ. For when He comes, He will gather those who have loved Him 
and he will judge those who have rejected him. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus? And if not, I would say, why? I don't think it's enough to say, no, I just believe something else. Okay, but if you say no, then you're saying these words are not trustworthy and true, which then you do not believe that there is a, uh, a God-man who came, who died as a lamb, rose, and is one day coming back as king. So you need to know, if you say no, what are you rejecting? It's not enough just to say no. When, when we tell people that we're Christians, they want to say, well, why? And I think that's a fair question. And when we tell someone that we're a Christian, would you like to believe in Christ? And they say no. I think we need to say why? Why? What do you not believe? What are you rejecting? And that's, we can't force anyone, but we need to help people realize what are they saying? What are they communicating? When they say no, they're believing that this message is false. We need to clarify that. We need to help people to see that if this is true, and we believe it is, that there is then a judgment that is coming, and there is a great joy that is coming. And it all depends on Christ, if we've trusted and believed in Him. God has given us His Word that we would believe in Him, and that we would be saved. So I ask you, do you believe this message, God's Word, His Bible, even beginning in Leviticus? like the kids are doing right now. Understanding that there had to be a sacrifice. Understanding there had to be a priest. Understanding that that sacrifice and that priest and that temple all finds fulfillment in Christ. This book is not meant to entertain us like the Lord of the Rings. It is not meant to entertain us or disappoint us at times like Civil War or whatever Marvel movie, Infinity Wars. Um, This book is true and trustworthy. It's meant to transform us. That we would cry out, come, because we know these words are true. That's the first thing. These words are true. Do you know these words are true? Number two, we worship our king exclusively. Look at verses eight and nine. Verse 8, John sees this incredible vision of the new creation. I encourage you, go back and read chapter 21 and chapter 22. And then because of this, he falls down, he worships the angel before him. And the verse 9, the angel yells at him. Don't think the angel's going, hey, that's not right. I don't think that's how it's being communicated. He says, you must not do that. We don't worship created things. And look at that, verse Verse 8, I, John, and the one who heard these things, and when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Verse 9, he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers. Meaning, look, I'm no different in the sense of we're just servants before God. We don't worship angels. We don't worship the sun, the moon, the stars, anything in creation. We worship God. But notice, this is the second time that John has done this. 1910. He also has this amazing vision of the wedding supper. Do you remember that? In chapter 19, the bride has been brought to, to Jesus, and they have this wedding supper where, they're, uh, where now they've been joined together, and they're going to come into this new heavens and new earth. There's amazing joy. What does John do? He falls down. What does the angel do? You must not do that. Stop worshiping created things. Now, that's really the message all the way throughout the book, right? 
Adam and Eve. What did they do? Oh, well, we don't really want to worship God. We really want to worship what we want to worship. They redefined worship at that moment, and we see Israel all throughout the Old Testament struggles with worshiping God alone. They continue to worship false gods. Even in uh, the New Testament, as we come and we see the church, the thing that plagues the church often is idolatry, being uh, distracted from the focus and worship of God to making other things more important. What we see here is I think this text is helping us understand that as Christians, we are not immune to idolatry. We must be on guard against things that want to lure us away from Jesus. Do you hear that? There are things right now, good things. I mean, look at what John saw. He saw amazing things, holy things, pure things, and he got distracted. I think this is a warning for us that, hold on here. We need to be aware that as created things, as created beings, we were made to worship. And by the grace of God, we now worship Him through Christ Jesus. But until Christ comes again and we are made perfect in Him, we will struggle at times with false worship. And this world, what we've seen in Revelation, desires to lure us. And and I would say this, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you've matured, It's often going to be subtle good things that lure you away from the true worship of God. It's not going to be bad things a lot of times. It's going to be good things. Family, relationships, things like that that can lure us away. Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you would just say, this is distracting me right now from the worship of King Jesus? Is there anything in your life that God just kind of presses on through his spirit, that you feel there is something that's trying to compete. Remember, all seven churches in Revelation were facing temptation. So if we're here today and we're saying, man, I think I'm facing temptation, that's not unusual. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it'll happen right up until he comes. And the message is repent. Repent. The message is continue to trust in Jesus. Now, there's another warning that John gives us also. Verses 18 and 19, we're warned against adding or taking away from any words in this book. We're told that if anyone adds to these words, that he will experience the plagues of this book. And that's not good. I encourage you, go back and read about the bowls of wrath, the trumpets. That's not where you want to be. And he says that if anyone... um, If anyone adds to the books, he will experience the plagues. If anyone removes words, he will not share an eternal life. Now, the plagues come on those who have rejected Christ, on who have the mark of the beast. And so he says, if you add, I get these confused, if you, if you, if anyone adds, he'll experience the plagues. And if you, if you remove words, you don't have eternal life. So these are the same people. To, to experience the plagues is to have the mark of the beast, which means you don't have eternal life. But what we have here is the way we treat God's word has eternal ramifications. The way we treat God's word, what we see, is the way we treat God. God has breathed out his word so that we'd be saved. God has breathed out his word that we would know who he is, what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so what we're having here is honor the word of God. For it comes forth 
from God. And those who believe this word is trustworthy, those who live in accordance with this word and worship King Jesus, have eternal life, come through the city gates, have access to the tree of life, will not experience the plagues of the book. But if you add, distort, manipulate, be careful because you're in danger then of experiencing the plagues. So I ask you, just how do you treat God's word? I think this is meant to cause us as believers, because this is written to believers, to wrestle with, how am I treating God's word? What priority does this word play in my life today? I think we need to wrestle with that. Do, do we honor this word? It, do you eat more than one time a week? I would hope so. I hope we, we feast on this word more than one time a week. Because if this is it, you're going to be really hungry. And you're not going to look very good. These times where we gather here are to be celebrations of what we're really doing throughout the rest of the week. Where we come collectively to worship our God through his word. And we know that in this day and age that we live in, this word is being attacked constantly. Many churches believe that parts of this word are now outdated, are no longer relevant. Many people have added additional words and books to this Bible as if it was not sufficient, as if it needed some help, as if God may have changed his mind. Therefore, we need an appendix section. Today, God's word is being twisted and distorted and in fact, I'll give you a resource. You can just go buy it, iTunes or Amazon, whatever one you prefer, uh, $14.99, or you can rent it. It's called The American Gospel, Christ Alone. It's a movie. It's fabulous. It's two hours and 20 minutes. It's a documentary, um, and, and it's all about the true gospel versus the prosperity gospel that is so alive today in this world. $14.99, best $14.99 you'll spend. Watch it with your table groups. Invite your neighbors over. It is an amazing book that, that walks through the gospel, clearly highlights that we are saved by grace, and then really shows the twisting of the prosperity gospel and how it manipulates on how it distorts. It's very, very eye-opening. It makes you very angry. has a whole mixture of emotions, but very good book on talking about how this is happening today and how people are being lured in, even people within church that just simply are not being grounded in the Word. And so, um, so what I want to do is I want to tie these two warnings together. We have uh, do not worship anything in creation and do not distort the Word of God. I would say the one who worships something other than God commits idolatry. The one who changes or alters God's word is also committing idolatry. Now they can be very obvious or they can be very subtle. But let me say this. When we begin to ignore God's commands, or should I say think of them as optional suggestions, rather than to treat them as, they're giving, as God gives them to us, we are beginning to commit idolatry. We're beginning to alter the word of God so it's palatable to us. And if we alter the word of God, which is meant to reveal to us who God is, what he has done for us, when we alter that, what are we doing? We're making a gospel and a God more after our own image. Does that make sense? So when we read, don't worship anything in creation, okay, I get that. Sun, moon, stars, relationships, money, stuff like that. But 
with that is the way we treat the word. If we ignore the word, that may be in danger of removing words. You're just saying it's, it's, not, it's, it's not even necessary. But when we start manipulating the word, when we start treating God's word as optional, as pick and choose, then we're also committing idolatry here because we're changing who God is. We're redefining God. There is one God, and he has sent his son Jesus, King Jesus, to give us life. He has given us his word that we would know him. If we alter the word, we redefine God. If we redefine God, we lose God. If we lose God, we lose the gospel. So reading and studying the Bible, it's not just a good Christian idea. The reason we spend time here, it's not just, well, it's Sunday. We feel like we got to fill the time somehow. And so someone comes up and preaches the word. But it is a necessary means of grace in which our hearts are purified and made more like Christ. So we need to be people of the word. As we regularly come and feast on God's word, like today or on Monday through Saturday, our hearts are being guarded against idolatry and they're being fueled in anticipation of Christ's coming. In fact, I would say largely that this book, Revelation, as all the Bible, especially this book, prepares us for the return of Christ. That's why at the end it just says, come. We want Jesus to come. So if you desire for Christ to come, if we want to be ready for him, it is to be people in his word knowing who he is now. Next one, we long for the return of our king. Look at, uh, we see that in verses 16 and 17. Before I read that, do you, let me just ask, do you long for Jesus' return? Now don't give me like the, the Sunday school answer, yes, Jesus. You know, like that's what we do. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you want Jesus to come back? Yes. What's the right answer to every Sunday school answer or every Sunday school question? Jesus. So, like, I know we can do that, and we can do it really, really well. So just think through, and you don't have to maybe say it out loud. It's probably best not to. Do you really, really, really want Jesus, your king, to come? So I was in high school. And I, I mean, this is so vivid in my mind. I remember, so I'm a Christian. I know I was a Christian in high school, and I, I'm in some Sunday school time, and we're talking about the return of Jesus. And I go, I think that sounds great. But I got some things I want to do first. <laughs> like, I, I was like, I want to have sex. I'm a high school kid. <laughs> Trust me. Um, that's what, I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I want to do these things, which my wonderful leader at that point said, yes, but all those pleasures actually find fulfillment in Christ, and what you have in the new creation is going to be so much better, which I said, well, I want to compare. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Tell me I'm different from any other high school kid. I hope I am, but... Like, right? Right? Like, do you ever feel like that? Like, I, yeah, I want him to come, but if these things could happen first, that would be awesome. So basically, <laughs> coming through this passage, like, I was like, man, I was not actually seeing Jesus as my satisfaction. I wasn't seeing that he satisfies everything in me. I saw that he satisfied the desire for eternal life, but that wasn't carrying over to everything else, all my other desires. 
And so what I was doing is I was considering other things more valuable than Christ. And so, so I say, do you long for Jesus? So maybe I ask it this way. Is there anything else that you value or treasure more than Christ in any way? I think we've got to wrestle with that. Look at verse 17. It's, it's amazing here. So the Spirit who is given to the bride, that's the church, the Spirit says, come, and what, what does the bride say? The bride says, there's interactive time. The bride says, come. It's right there in verse 17. So the Spirit works in the church so that we together, empowered by the Spirit, would say what? Come, Jesus, right? So that's how we do it. It's because the Spirit is in us, working in us. We together, with the Spirit, say, come. And I would argue that's all what Revelation is about. Um, so anyone who says, what good is it to read Revelation? It's a really hard book. I get that. It's hard. But this book is specifically designed to move in our hearts and work in us that we would cry out, come, King Jesus, come. So every book is good. Every book is inspired by God. Every book has different purposes. And one of the main purposes of this book is that we would stand and say, come, we want you, Jesus. So it's hard. I get that. But, but it's amazing as we work our way through what it does in our hearts. Um, Revelation will show us the pain and suffering of this world, yet it shows us that there is a greater joy that lies ahead of us in the new creation. Revelation shows us that our best life is not now, but it will arrive when Jesus returns. Right? That's what it shows. We have joy now, but that joy will the joy we have there will far exceed any joy we have here. It will be the culmination of all joys. So back to verse 17. We then read, the one who hears says, come. So who's that? So the bride and the spirit say, come. The one who hears says, come. So what's happening here? I think the spirit, together with the bride, is saying, come, so that those who hear would believe and also say, Come. I think this is evangelism here. I think that we are to live in such a way that we are proclaiming with our words and we are demonstrating with our lives the value and all satisfying power of Christ Jesus our King. And when the world hears that message, we know some will reject, but we also know some will say yes. And they will echo back and they will say, Come, Jesus, come. And I say that because when we come to the last part of the verse, we read, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So I think what we have here is we, we cry out, come. And we're saying, look, if you're thirsty, if your soul hungers, if you're looking for something, it's Jesus, which is what you're actually looking for. He's the only one who will satisfy you. And the reason I say that is because this comes from Isaiah chapter 55. And, and so write down the reference and, and, and you can read it later, but I'll read it to you. Isaiah 55 verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, and really verses 6 through 7 also. He says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear what your soul, 
here that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So that whole text is about God calling forth Israel to repent and to believe in him. And now it's echoed here, it's used here in Revelation as the church cries out to the world, come, Jesus is the one who will satisfy you. This is, this is a message for us as the church to go forth and to let the world know that only Christ will satisfy. So I had a guy come into my house this week um, to hang blinds. And, and he, he, you know, he's in my house, and I have him for like an hour and a half. So I'm going, like, he has to be here. I can do whatever I want. He has to be here and hang these blinds. I, why would I not try to give him the gospel, right? And so... Uh, so I, I sit there and, and I ask him, so how are you doing? You know, go through all the, you know, the normal conversation things. And, and so I say, how long have you been doing this? And, and we, we talk and, and, then, and then I tell him, you know, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And, which he goes, oh, church, okay. Yeah, I, I don't really understand that stuff. <laughs> You're in luck. <laughs> like, I'm just like, God, could you ser- serve this up on a silver platter? Like, he says, I don't understand. I'm like, I do I mean, not perfectly, but I got a pretty good handle on it. So I'm like, all right. Like, I have this vision right now. Like, it was like, I'm going to give him the gospel, explain things. He'll be like, oh, man, that's amazing. I never saw it that way before. You know, we'll, we'll hang out. We'll be friends. We'll email each other. He'll be a Christian. So none of that happened. Uh, so just kind of let you know. So I, I, I just start sharing the gospel and he goes, yeah, so my grandma was a Christian, and she gave, she gave a lot to the church, was really involved in the church, and then she got sick, and, and nobody ever called her, nobody ever cared about her, nobody ever did anything for her, and, and so yeah, so I, I never understood that, and so I was like, oh, okay, you know, sometimes we, we, we mess up, I, I get that, um, and then he goes, uh, so... Um, I also hear these guys on TV, and they talk about, um, you know, jets and other stuff. Pastors, you're talking about jets, and this is what God wants everyone to have. Um, so he goes, I always find that really confusing. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I can answer that. That's prosperity gospel. Uh, so I'm just making all these mental notes. And then he goes, you know, so he just starts talking about all these various things that he's seen over like 20 years. And then he starts talking to me about Buddhism and Hinduism and other things, and not in vague words, but with actual articulation of what they believe and even governmental structures in other parts of the world. So now I'm going, this guy's not just a, a blind guy like hanging blinds. I'm like, this guy, this guy knows stuff. Like he knows a lot of stuff. He's been around. And, and what I was hearing is I've seen a lot of people who say they love Jesus and they are not satisfied in Jesus at all. Amen. As, as I began just to think through, I was just sitting there going, I have, I have nothing to say to him hardly at this moment. Like, I, I mean, I, I just said a few of the things, but I could see he was so hard at the moment. He, he was like, all I see is people around me who aren't satisfied in Jesus. They want this, 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 and they all do that under the guise of, yes, I'm a Christian. And so I, mean, I tried to share a few things, and then as he left, my, uh, my heart was just broken. I was going, 
That's so true of not just him, but how many people that we see all the time. And they see churches, and they see people who say they're Christians, and they don't have categories for prosperity gospel or, or other things. They just see Christian. Well, they say Jesus. They say Jesus. doesn't matter if they're way different things. And he just simply said, I, I don't see anyone that actually finds satisfaction in Jesus. And what I think in this text we see is that as Christians, we're so satisfied in Christ, we're saying, Come. And we're calling for the church to be satisfied. But I think what this text is also saying is if we're going to call the world, those who are thirsty, to come be satisfied in Christ, we best be satisfied also. So I took that, what happened in my life this week, as a great challenge. how, How am I communicating the joy I have in Christ? How am I communicating in the way I, I live, in the way I talk, the way I do things, that Christ truly is the one who satisfies. Because I think the world is watching very closely, and unfortunately, I think a lot of times we forget that. I think that's what's happening here. Revelation, as it's in, it's saying, let's say come. But in order to do that, let us be satisfied in Christ. So let us do that through his word, and let us call for the world to be satisfied. And lastly, as we move into communion, notice the last words, verse 21. The grace of the Lord, Je- Lord Jesus be with you all. We wait in the grace of our King. When you come to the end of a letter in the New Testament, you'll often see it says, and may grace be with you. Don't read over those words and glaze over them. At the end of the letter, Paul or John is saying, as you've read this word, grace has been given to you. Now as you go out, grace will be with you. We are not alone. God's grace is in us through his spirit that we would be satisfied and that we could proclaim a message. So how is it that we hunger and thirst for God? How is it that we worship God exclusively and honor his word? How is it that we believe this word is trustworthy and we proclaim it to this world? It's not by our strength. It's by the fact that God's grace is with us. So as we read this word even now and as we go out, we can say, God, may your grace be with me. Fill me with strength. Help me to be bold as I go forth. And that's that's the way it's meant to work is that God's word would continue to strengthen us through the work of his spirit. So those last few words at the end of like Paul's letters or here at the end of Revelation, they're not just a nice way to end a letter, you know, from, you know, sincerely, you know, it's grace be with you. It is the fact that we have confidence as we study this word What Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, 20, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age, he is with us. We do not go alone. We are not cowards. We're not hermits in a world full of tribulation, but we go boldly, not in our strength, but in grace, because he is with us. And so together, I pray that we can say, come, Jesus, come, because that's what Revelation is meant for us to do. There is a day coming. When all evil, all sin, all pain, all suffering will be over. And the way we get there is by grace. So let me pray, and the men will come forward. Father.